1: I'm Jordana Levine, and you're listening to The Inspire Table Podcast. Each week, you'll be led down an inspired path of curiosity as I chat to some of my favorite soul-centered folk about the things that inspire me daily in the hope that some of that juicy inspiration will rub off on you. So pour yourself your favorite copper and take a seat at my table. I promise you'll leave happier, healthier, and bursting with inspiration. Well hello there and welcome to season four of the Inspired Table podcast. I had a much longer hiatus than I had expected but you know what I think that's just part of this podcasting world. If I've learned anything over the last three seasons it's that podcasts take time and commitment both of which I have had very little of. So I think what I'm going to do going forward um, is just put episodes up as I record them. So it's not going to be as frequent. It may be weekly. There might be some twice a week. There might be some not for a few weeks. I'm just trying to keep the process as organic and fluid as I can at the moment the downside of that is that iTunes will not look too favorably upon me um, in terms of the charts and stuff. But you know what? That's okay with me. I've got a pretty loyal listener base. Um, and because that is the case, if you do enjoy an episode from this season or any of the seasons before it, please share it with your friends, whether that's on social or just sending them a link via text or email, whatever it is, or just having a chat about it. It's the best way to get the word out. So if you do want to stay up to date though, the best thing you can do is subscribe to the podcast because that way iTunes notifies you when a new podcast episode is up and you don't have to wait to hear from me or check back every week or, you know, it's just easier that way. Um, okay, so Season 4, first episode. It's a good one. I catch up with two regular Irish lads who um, have created a wonderful charity in Australia called The Light Ball after both suffering from varying degrees of mental illness. And mental health is a massive talking point at the moment and rightly so. It's a topic that we need to start to feel comfortable bringing up in conversation and especially men. And I don't want to generalize, but we as women, we find it easier to share and to chat with other females. Men, they find it a little bit harder. So it's really important that these conversations are being had. So today I catch up with Neil O'Sullivan and Michael McGee, both who have very different experiences with mental health, but their passion for raising awareness is incredibly infectious. And you'll see why during this interview. And I hope this conversation encourages you to reach out for help if you need it. Or perhaps help someone who is in need. So if you can relate to anything that's happening in this episode, I urge you to do something about it. And if you need to contact Lifeline, their number is one three one 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 four. Now you might recognize Neil from a podcast episode from last season, the last time I interviewed an Irishman. Um, I interviewed him with his partner, Sue, who own the business Nimbus & Co., the infrared saunas. And we had such a great time chatting. And Neil was telling me all about the light bulb that was coming up and his um, contribution to it. So I thought it would be a really great idea to record this conversation and get it up. But it is next week So, if you do want to go to the light bulb, if you are interested in helping these guys out, make sure you jump on the links in the show notes ASAP. And I think that's about it. So, let's get into the first episode of season four of the Inspired Table podcast. So, you guys are pals, you guys are friends. Um, yes. and we, I've gotten you guys together today to talk about the issue of mental health because it's a really important conversation that we all need to be having. What is your personal experiences with mental health and why has it become such an issue for both of you to want to start the conversation? I might start with you, Neil. What, what's your introduction into mental health?
2: Well, mental health has kind of been part of me as as long as I can remember, really. You know, your memory only, you know, you only get small little snippets of memory when you're a kid, but, you know, from a teenager around the age of kind of 13, 14, it really, that's how far I can remember back when it really started to kind of, you know, I, I used to wonder, you know, why do I kind of feel like this, you know, and, you know, sometimes you just don't feel happy, and there's no reason whatsoever, and I was part of, All the sports teams and schools, you know, people would know me as being quite gregarious, you know, uh, very lively and funny and, you know, always out there and, you know, doing things. But just some days I would just wake up and it would just be a bad day and I I had no reason. And like as as a teenager, it was actually very hard to deal with. Uh, Because you're not mature enough to understand what's going on and then also at that time you're going through puberty And you're kind of thinking you know what you know your body is changing anyway And there's lots of other things going on like is this normal like you're not quite sure And then as I grew older, you know my mom on her side of her family and you know I learned through her that there's uh, there's depression and there's alcoholism and a number of things on that side of the family and then it became a bit more open and like Luckily for me, I mean, my mom kind of gave us a lot of love in the family when we were growing up, and, and that kind of trickled through to me as a person in terms of being quite open about my thoughts. And, you know, that's one of the lucky things I feel around mental health with me that I am afraid to speak about it. So even with my relationship with her, I, you know, I would talk her through those days where I'd feel kind of down. So she was kind of well, well aware of it from a young age as well. And that's kind of been with me most of my life, but because of the kind of active lifestyle that I've lived for my whole life, you know, even more so now in Australia because I'm conscious more about what I eat and so forth. But even in Ireland, I was always very active. But it's only as I've grown older, and you know, I had a bit of a, you know, a period in my life in my early twenties when I was taking recreational drugs at one point, and it didn't really affect my mental health at that particular point. But now I'm a 32 year old man. I feel like some of those uh, after after effects have started to kind of surface, uh, and you know when you when you grow older as an adult, you know you're dealing with a lot lot more stress in your life. So, you know, you, you might know me before Joanna True Nimbus and Co. So, like I started a business about a year ago. and um, I also have a day job. I play soccer here, kind of semi professionally, and then I volunteer on on two charity groups. And um, so, there's a lot on my plate and I think, you know, I remember years and years ago, I, I had a friend who's an occupational therapist, and she told me that, you know, if you have underlying genetic issues around mental health, whether it's depression or schizophrenia or anything like that, and then you take, like, recreational drugs, that barrier just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And for some people, it can just take one or two experiences, and that literally just pushes them over the line, whereas other people, you can do it your whole life, and it won't affect you. Mm. Um, and that's kind of, like, my opinion on it. I think as I've gone older... Issues like anxiety, um, I had, I've had one or two panic attacks in the last kind of few years, which are really, really scary, um, and they kind of happen when you're, when you're not in that solid routine. Like, I find when I'm training hard, eating well, and kind of, you know, in, in the zone, I'm usually quite good, but when you go away on holidays, let's say, or you've, you know, done a lot of drinking because things have been happening in your social life, that's when my barriers seem to come down a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and that's kind of like where that anxiety grows and so forth and you know as I said when you've got stresses of daily life on top of that it becomes more prominent you know.
1: Absolutely I can relate to that Mm. as well and I do want to get into that a little bit further both the drugs and mental illness and also the anxiety but before we get there Michael can you tell us a little bit about your background with mental health?
0: Yes yes certainly Jordana Um, so I uh, I grew up um, in an environment so, since I can first remember and uh, which was very much you know um, influenced by yeah um, I suppose depression so my, my mother suffered very chronically from clinical depression um, and and um, you know, she was an amazing lady and she, she did a, a, a lot of a lot of positive things, a lot of charity work and no matter how much she kind of battled against it, it, it actually you know she ended up taking her own life in the end and um, but she she yeah she she attempted that I, I don't know like a, a dozen times so all through my childhood and through my teens it was very much you know I had that anxiety that she was going to do something which she ultimately did and I think there you know look there there are different everybody to some degree is gonna you know be affected in some way by depression you know mm-hmm. even if it's just having some down days or you know where Daniel said before we've got like you know some predisposition and. You know genetically or you know like a chemical imbalance or or sometimes it can just be circumstantial you know where but she was you know she had 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 suffered very 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 chronically um, you know from clinical depression and it's just you know as a result of that I kind of like I, I was able to I was fine you know like I, like it was tough and you have like a, a checkered upbringing as a result of it but I was able to kind of you know battle through and, and, and be strong and you know you do have your down days But then one of my friends actually passed away, um, Colin Baker, um, and we lived together and and unfortunately found him um, in my back garden when when he had passed away taking his own life. And that actually put me into a bit of a downward spiral. So then I kind of, you know, I I faced my own bout of of personal depression. Um, And I I know kind of how that felt. That was a a pretty dark time. Um, But, you know, I leveraged kind of what, I suppose, you know, support that was out there to, to help me through that, you know, through therapy and, you know, not actually medication, but, yeah. you know, so it, it's kind of shrouded my life like very, very, very significantly, but, you know, like, like Neil said that, you know, we, I through, like through some positive initiatives that we, you know, we support, like through charity, that kind of gives you purchase on something, you know, extremely positive that kind of keeps you focused, you know, and, and not keep your mind off things, but, but gives you a bit of direction but I, I really do like just So things like routine will set you free kind of having goals you know having like a very positive outlook like day to day and the components that make that up in terms of you know whether it be kind of you know you do stuff like mindfulness training you know if there's like certain repetitive negative thoughts that you know kind of are influencing your mood you kind of address them label them you know note them and then write kind of counter thoughts like the positive thoughts that you know how you would like to feel like there are kind of Physiology kind of exercises that you can do to kind of lift your moods Like there, there's there's a hell of a lot that you can do if you mm. have the right kind of blueprint to really kind of counter it. You know, so you can live a very you know a happy life. Absolutely. You know, it, 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 like no, no matter what level, like you know, if if you know if if you got a compass and north is you know extreme clinical depression and south is look you know sometimes time you have your blue days. You know, I think just having a plan. Is, is absolutely critical yeah you know?
1: so I might just ask you there at this point then what what is the difference between say clinical depression and circumstantial depression?
0: Well look from I'm not a, obviously you know, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist but from my personal experience you know like a clinical depression is a chemical imbalance that you know you often will have to be treated you know um, through medication and yeah. um, you know and obviously therapy some, some deep deep therapy. Um, and different types of maybe, cognitive behavioral therapy, and um, you know, even like as I said, mindfulness exercises, but you know, circumstantial depression can be as a result of maybe, you know, I don't know, like a breakup in a relationship, you know, like losing your job, you know, like it, like it could be anything um, across the spectrum, but you know, they both will affect you, but I suppose that it, clinical depression has more of an overarching effect on your life, you know, and it's, it's kind of, it's it's nearly always present, you know, from you talking to anybody that suffers from it, but look, and it, Despite either if it's clinical or you know or circumstantial, you do as I said there. You know there are ways to, to tackle um, to tackle both situations.
1: Absolutely. And Michael, did you notice a difference from when your mother passed to when your friend had passed? Was there quite a time, like what was the time frame between that?
0: And the time frame was five years. Okay. So, and was there was yeah. there any
1: in on your. With your own experience but also the people around you, did you notice whether times had progressed when it came to depression or whether the story is so 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 that's
0: that that that's a really good question. I think like so from so from you mean in terms of like like the awareness and attitude towards mental illness? Yeah. Yeah, so that yeah, that is that that that, that is a really important question. We I suppose when my mum when when we were growing up like even when she would she would constantly be in and out of hospital, you know, but the even you could see it in the doctors that they their attitude and they were you know they were uh, psychiatrists you know and they, they their attitude wasn't the most positive towards people that would take their own life because I suppose you know a lot of doctors are there trying to kind of save people's lives, and I think even at that time and from even medical practitioners that I was a bit shocked by yeah their kind of approach and attitude towards the, towards patients you know after they, they attempted suicide um and I, I, like my family. You know, my, like my, my my dad. Like I think he thought initially that my, you know my mum was just being tired and lazy. You know, yeah. she just couldn't get out of bed. And so did her ho- own family. And I think her own family had a very negative relationship with her. Then as a result of that, you know, well with a lot of them because they didn't really understand that this woman was suffering from a a very 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 serious illness. You know, and and just it was just uh, like uh, we were in Ireland at the time. But I think it was probably anywhere in the world around that time that. You know, it just wasn't that awareness and it wasn't that, you know, acknowledgement that this was, yet yeah, a serious disease. And uh, I think obviously just being the change now, it, it, it's like it's, you know, it, it really has accelerated. Like you can, you know, there's so many people that get behind it and understand the importance that it will affect everybody's lives in some way or another. Uh, and, what, you know, and obviously myself and Neil, we, we try to do some work ourselves around that to try and, you know, support charities that, um you know, that, that create that awareness.
1: Absolutely. So maybe Neil, you can tell us a little bit about um, the charities that you do support and the work that they do.
2: Yeah, I, Mick and I our kind of relationship is is twelve uh, over the years, you know, we're both from a fairly similar area in Dublin. You know, I'm from a place called Sulorgan, Mick's from Leopardstown. They're literally a stone's throw away from each other, and we've met each other over the years and. Uh, we moved to Sydney in a fairly similar time, it was around 2012 Um, we actually bumped into each other I think at a at a gym, I think it was, if, if I'm right, Mick. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, I
1: thought you were going to say a nightclub.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, we're now, you know, lifting some weights. You know, we're doing more chatting that, Nils, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: well.
2: We're tra- trying to catch up with all you Aussies, you know. The, 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 the,
0: <laughs> we are very are, buff.
2: <laughs> we are, yeah. It is very daunting when you first get here and yes. you go to Bondi Beach and you take your shirt off. It's yeah. like, whoa, I have a lot of work to do. And that was four years or five years ago. We're still not quite there. Um, But yeah, I mean, as I said, Mick and I, our lives are kind of like uh, matched up quite a bit. And then we kind of came together about the light bulb because I I knew Colin Baker as well. He's from uh, a very similar area to me. He was in my school. I know his little brother, David, very well uh, through sports. And then there's another friend of ours called uh, Kieran Walsh who also um, commits suicides. Um, God, he was like, oh God, it's a bit... It's nearly 10 years ago now, Mick, is it? Or it, it was
0: long, longer than that now. It would be about um, 12, 13 yeah. years ago. Oh, or, or no, sorry. No, 10 years, right. It was 10 years, sorry.
2: Yeah, I think it was around um, 2007. And I got to know Kieran kind of later in my in my life, whereas Mick would have known him from you know very, very young. And he was a great guy. And it was actually very sad for me as well because we were at a music festival that weekend and he was due to come down and stay with us in our tent. And he didn't show up on the first night, but if anyone had no care, you just go, oh, that's just Walshie, you know, typical Walshie. Mm. Um, but he actually was at the festival, but he forgot his phone because we bumped into his friends. And we were like, where is he? He's supposed to be staying with us, you know. But alas, we didn't see him at all, you know, because we couldn't contact him. But normally you just kind of laugh that off because he was just, that's who he was. And then I'll never forget this because it was a Monday, and you've been you know there for three days and you're already you know in the dumps because you know you've maybe got a bit too much on the drink or whatever. And then I dropped my bags down in my house and literally sat on the couch and I got a phone call. and it was from my friend Chris, who's from Lepraon as well, and he said, "You know well, she's committed suicide, and I just mm. it just that really, really rocked me. and mm. you know I, I, I've known a lot of people through my life. there's been guys in my school and from the area who we passed away through suicide, but that that one really, really rocked me. And, um, you know, I only got to know Kieran maybe in the last four or five years of his life, but we were kind of growing in terms of friendship. And that that was when it really first started to emotionally affect mm. me. And, you know, my mother as well has suffered with depression herself and has been in and out of, the, like, kind of rehab for alcohol and a few things. And there's been a few attempts as well. And, you know, it kind of brought up some of those those old memories for me and it really kind of really kind of made an impact so when we all met in sydney and the light bulb had been set up in ireland in t- 2012 and i had be can, like, can i
0: give a bit of context around that Neil? would you mind if I yeah yeah just yeah sure, about sure. how it was set up so I just read, i just think it's important just to yeah. explain how it came about so sure. we, so once again like i was you know don't to, to jump in but the like you know it was after a couple of friends had passed away and myself and my brother found it. We were kind of, you know, our 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 house was kind of like the epicenter for our our group of friends, and we had a lot of people that used to come over. And then when Colin would actually passed away, I think there was just a bit of a stigma. People weren't around anymore. And look, the it, it, light was set up to support a local charity, uh, Pieta House in Ireland. They do the same kind of work as kind of uh, Batir and, and Beyond Blue and like charities as such over here. And, and to help, you know, and raise funds for and create awareness, you know, for people that suffer from depression and, and mental ill health. But the reason we set up the committee to to form this kind of charity initiative, this kind of black tie ball, like it, it wasn't like purely altruistic. That look, we want to go raise money, you know, to help these charities It really wasn't essence at the start. It was to to set up the committee itself for a group of friends to get together and to be together you know and um, working towards something positive it was kind of so we could be together you know it wasn't just about the charity and i think that's that, that's really important that you know it's about people being there for each other as well you know and so that's kind of then we set up that, that up in ireland and myself and, and my brother and then and the rest of the committee in 2012 and then that's kind of yeah almost like exported over here and neil's kind of help you know lead the charge and yeah neil i'll let you jump back in mate
2: yeah no yeah i couldn't put it better myself yeah like it's it, it's so much more than just, you know, fundraising. It's raising awareness, but as Mick said, it's bringing people together. I mean, there's about 15 or so of us on the current committee here in Sydney. We're from all different walks of life, different nationalities, Canadians, British, Irish, you name it. And unfortunately, mental health, and particularly suicide, is not just synonymous with Australia or Ireland. Or it, It's everywhere. It's in every country, and every country has its own reasons probably why there are people suffering with mental health or if there's increased levels. I mean, I think Ireland is number three in, in Europe in terms of the OECD countries for suicide per heads, per capita. Wow. Uh, and I think the, the only two other countries ahead of Ireland are Scandinavian countries yeah. where they're literally in darkness for large parts of the day and their year, so it's actually yeah. a lack of vitamin D which is directly responsive. In Australia, to bring it into context here, Eight Australians a day take their own life but that is like staggering when you multiply that by 365 days a year that's thousands of people are doing it here
1: and is you that know, number um, increasing or decreasing
2: yeah, oh yeah a hundred percent yeah it, it has and it's even increased more in the last I think 15 to 20 years than it did in ever over the last 100 years I looked at a statistic I think from now, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but it was in the tens around the turn of the last century, like in terms of like the early um, 1900s. Mm-hmm. And now it's in the thousands. So it's grown from being like kind of around the hundred mark to being the, the multiple thousand mark. And what, so, do,
1: what do you guys think is the reason behind that? What, what do you think is contributing to the suicide rate going up?
2: Well, as Mick said, like neither of us are qualified practitioners, and we just want to make that clear you know to all your listeners out there. However, you know, we're speaking from experience and anecdotal evidence, and you know I think, as I said w- w- it depends where you are in terms of countries and environments. If you take Ireland, for example, you know Ireland has uh, a bit of a checkered history, you know we were you know, the Vikings came for 300 years around the nine, nine, 900 AD, and then we were under British rule for 800 years, and we only had our independence in 1922, so the Republican state of Ireland is less than 100 years old, and Irish people are renowned for, you know, like uh, liking to drink alcohol, you know, uh, which we kind of all chuckle at, but, you know, in my mind, I think, you know, that whole drinking alcohol and being suppressed as a, as a nation and as a culture for over a thousand years when you think about it that's probably why people drink alcohol because it was a bit of an escape to get away from the environment that they were in and Ireland was a very impoverished nation you know, we only really had a bit of economic upturn in the early, in the 2000s, late 1990s and they called that the Celtic Tiger before that Ireland never really had you know, money and disposable income to spend so I think Ireland has that part weighing on us and maybe that's we're an island it's a small nation you know you've got all those factors but if you if you put it in contrast to australia i think it's different because over here australia it has a very positive outlook on it's very expansive it's very progressive and you know aussies love to travel i mean and they're very i mean as an irish person before you come to ireland you have that sense of like the bravado with australia and i think that kind of tall poppy syndrome and you know that big proud Australian nature is maybe maybe that attributes to why it's an issue here in Australia that you know I'm a rugby playing Aussie guy like I couldn't tell my mates that you know I suffered mental health what would they think of me you know so I think there is differences depending on where you are and that's just you know my humble opinion but I think mental health and you know a lot goes into it you know it's you're about your circumstance your environment your upbringing your parenting the group of friends you mm. hang around the social life you have all of that goes into the mix when you're trying to yeah. you know get through it you know
0: yeah behaviour like your behaviours like your emotions cognitions that actually lead up into that point of you know this you know your initial question talk about what, what has you know increased the suicide rate but it's, it's, it comes down to not being able to share what's going on inside but you know it's it's you know, not feeling that there's someone that you can talk to about it because that's pretty much is the most important thing, would you would you say now?
2: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I definitely think Mick and I are in we're in the lucky bucket in terms of like we're mm-hmm. very com- well, we're not very comfortable, but you know we' we're, we're we're able to speak about it, and sometimes it's not that easy. But from the work that we do with Batir, who are our local charity as part of the light they tell us that out of a classroom of thirty people, seven suffer with mental health. And out of those seven, five actually don't tell anybody about it. So if you think of Mick and I, we're probably in that that two out of the seven that do. Yeah. But it's those who are in the five that are probably in the gra- gravest danger in terms of taking the, you know, the ultimate decision. Absolutely. And it's get, it's mm. getting to those people. That's the real issue. Yeah. And so
1: I guess on that note, then, what? Uh, there's two parts to this question. How can you, in yourself, Perhaps recognize that there might be some sort of ill mental health taking place. And then how can you, as a friend, recognize it in the people around you?
0: Well, I think, well, like, you can, personally, you can do, if you, like, I know if you keep a journal of how you, like, and write down how you're feeling in those days, and you can kind of look through it. I think that's a good way to see how your mood is, mm. how your mood is tracking. You generally do know, though, that if you are feeling quite low. Um, But you know, if you're having kind of repetitive thoughts, you know, you kind of you need to label them. You know, that's a part of the cognitive behavioral therapy. But you know, you need to be able to label them, and then it gives you a little more transparency and clarity around what it is that you know is most prominent. You know, when with these
2: negative thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree, and I think you know from my own experience how I felt it was when you were younger and like i would win sports competitions and games and you kind of feel like you should be happy and i should be celebrating here but if anything it was kind of anticlimactic, and you're kind of why why don't i feel so excited that this as everybody else um, and you're kind of wondering like why that is and you know trying to just uh, kind of see those triggers i suppose and it's not easy right it's not because you want to think that oh you know i'm okay and you know you don't let your guard down and that's hard and even for a friend that is hard I mean, with Kieran, for example, I mentioned, like, I had no idea that he was suffering at all until it was too late, you know? So, and I know Are You Okay Day is a fantastic initiative and in asking your mate, but I think it needs to go deeper than that, you know? It's, because if you, go, if you go onto the street and you bump into someone from high school tomorrow and you say, oh, how are you going? They'll say, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Mm. And that's just a natural reaction that people say. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know it myself, because even if there's days where I'm not fine... I'm really in a bad place. But if somebody says, how are you going? You just automatically go, yeah, I'm fine. And I think asking that top level question isn't enough. You need to kind of like be a bit more mindful than that to go deeper and go. And there's things like, so let's say if I was hanging out with Mick and Mick maybe didn't show up to a couple of parties or normally he likes to play golf with us, but he kind of has said no a couple of times. There are little triggers as a mate that you have to kind of go, maybe something's up here because normally, you know, he does those things and he likes those things. So, you know, looking out for little triggers like that, I think, you know, could be a sign.
1: Definitely. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about um, recreational drugs and mental illness. You touched a little bit on it earlier, Neil, but perhaps um, I thought it was interesting what you said that you didn't really notice it at the time that you were partaking in it but years down the track, you started to notice the effects of it. So, what were those effects?
2: Yeah, I'll be brutally honest here as well. I mean, when I, like, the the drugs that I took at the time, you know, I remember thinking, God, like, you know, the next day, you don't feel that bad. And, you know, you kind of think, well, this is like, this is cool. And Mm -hmm. you're having the best nights of your life. And it's all, it's all gravy. But as you kind of start to take them more and more and more and you're talking like when you go past the six months and into the years, you know, there was days where then you don't want to get out of bed and it's like kind of like 6 p.m. and you don't want to see anybody. If you bump into anybody on in the street, you get like really paranoid. You're like, oh my God, I don't want to see anybody. And i like, that's like frightening. And for me, it got to a point where I was like, you know, there was one day where I got up at like nine, eight or 9 p.m. Eventually my parents had already gone out for the night and you know, I just like projectile vomited everywhere, and I just said to myself, "Right, that this is it. Like, you really have to get over this." And um, but that took time for me to get to. Like my little brother Barry, who's in Australia as well, and he doesn't mind me like talking about this as well. Like Barry went to Ibiza one time, and Ibiza is you know the kind of iconic, you know, dance party town, yeah, party town of the <clears throat> world. And Barry never really took recreational drugs at all, but because he was in Ibiza, you know, he kind of you know, you're in, that, you're in that moment, you know, and people, everyone else is doing it, and he took some drugs when he was there, and then he had a really bad kind of, kind of panic attack one night, and he's since been on medication ever since, you know, he's on antidepressants, and you now they work for him, and he's he's doing okay, he's here in Sydney, and he's fine, but like, he went through a really rough period, and that was literally just from one week in Ibiza, yeah, you know, wow. so, that's how damaging the effects can actually, can be to you, you know, and then going to my issues myself in terms of like the depression was already already kind of there. But it was only really when I got into my late 20s and I started to get a job and so forth. And then you get under a little bit more pressure because, you, you know, you have to hit deadlines and so forth. That I started to get, you know, really bad around this. And it, it then started to happen when I was just having alcohol. So if I had a really big, big night in alcohol or maybe two nights in a row or whatever, and then you have to go into work on a Monday and you have a big meeting at 9 a.m., You'd be going into that meeting like sweaty and really kind of anxious and like just not feeling comfortable and you know the anxiety and panic attacks have only really surfaced in the last kind of couple of years and it's I wanted to mention as well Mick mentioned the circumstances so forth like when I first came to Australia the first kind of couple of years it, it was as if my mental health just completely went away wow and I think I was just riding the journey mm. of traveling and being in Australia and having like a decent salary and you know all this amazing sunshine. stuff that you guys have yeah, <laughs> yeah. sunshine yeah, yeah. I fully agree with you there Neil. yeah 100% yeah it literally all went away and I remember thinking to myself oh my god I'm kind of cured but it wasn't then you know when you you go more senior in your job and like I said mm. now have a business that those little things start to slowly creep back up and I had a really bad scenario last year it was about 18 months ago where I had gone to my mate's wedding in the US um, in New York and my partner Sue was with me, we had an amazing time, and so much fun and it was great, it didn't take any drugs it was only like drinking alcohol and at the end of the trip we did some sightseeing in New York and normally I'm fine with heights, like it's never really been an issue, like I'm no Bear Grylls or anything like that but <laughs> you know, like I wasn't a daredevil but yeah. I'm, I'm usually okay and we went up to Rockefeller Center in New York and I got up to the it's even make me feel weird now talking about it now but we got to the top and i went out onto the landing and they don't have walls there mm. they just have flat it's glass yeah. so and it's just i got this weird sense of like it just hit me straight away and then you get these thoughts of like oh my god i could literally die here if i just tried to jump over this thing you know mm. and i just completely lost it I went into an absolute panic attack and thank god sue was there because my I just had to get to the ground level. That was my main priority. I couldn't breathe. I was just sweating uncontrollably. I eventually got down there and then for the whole day I was just on edge, you know, and it really for me that was like really, really scary that I had gotten that far that it could affect me like this and I'd never really experienced anything like that before. And, and that was you, really like Do you think call, that right? was
1: do you think that was triggered by being out of your environment again? I know you said earlier that when you are out of routine um, and you can't stick to your usual sort of daily habits, that you start to notice it creep up again. Do you think that was a contributing factor that time, or was it just a combination definitely, of yeah. things?
2: Definitely, yeah. Definitely, I think like being at the top of a skyscraper obviously had me in a <laughs> yeah, particular would have done the same to me. scenario. <laughs> yeah, but like if I had been on the ground, like before we got up the elevator, I was I was fine. You mm. know, I was okay. But yeah I, I definitely because like I mean I, I eat quite cleanly here, you know lots of veggies, we look after ourselves um, get up early all the time, go to the gym, play soccer. like I have a very set routine. but when you go to the US you know you're a little bit more frivolous and you're eating burgers and you're you know not sleeping in your own bed and then you're trying to like keep going with the party and the wedding and all of this good stuff and I think definitely my guard was down and then if, if your guard is down, and then you're put into a high stressful scenario, you know, it's only going to ask for trouble.
1: Yeah. So let's talk then, and uh, I want to hear from both of you on this topic. Let's talk about some of the ways that you guys personally remedy your own mental health um, in order to keep yourself on as even a playing field as possible. So, um, Michael, let's start with you.
0: Um, well, look, I, I've, I've touched upon it. It's kind of trickled through some of the things that I've said. But in terms of you know having like a, a daily plan, a daily routine, I think that's kind of like really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so like how you start your day, you know, I've like now I have lemon and turmeric and ginger and hot water, and you know, make a smoothie and you know have do ten minutes of meditation or or, or Headspace, which is absolutely oh, amazing, like yes. mind, mindfulness. Yeah, I, I find that I've med- meditation and mindfulness obviously you know be quite similar, but. But mindfulness is one thing that's really kind of changed, like everything's about perception, right, and how happy you can be, like, you know, and uh, I find that if any negative thoughts creep into my mind, I'm like, okay why, okay, why am I thinking that, you know, like what is, what's kind of going on here? Because obviously you have so many thousands of thoughts that go through your head each day. So just being aware, and the more that you can acknowledge, you know, the thoughts that come into your head, you're like, oh, okay, and then maybe label them, well then the easier it is then for them to, they don't have as much importance, you know, they don't bear as much weight, when yeah. you're know, like, oh, okay, that's just kind of a silly thought. And I think that's very, very important. And that only comes through, like I suppose, like, you know, action and routine. Like, you've got to stick with it and you've got to keep doing that. But I think that mindfulness is just absolutely incredible in terms of changing yeah, your perception and how happy you can be. Um, and then hypnosis is a good thing. If you have any kind of acute things that really kind of get you down, and things of, say something self-confidence or something like that, you can also do a self-hypnosis like um, podcasts. And they're, they're really, really good. And then obviously exercise is key. Yeah, and, and I think um, you know, as you, you touched on before, like you know, recreational drugs, but just monitoring your your alcohol intake because look, alcohol is just you know, any of the you know the I suppose my friends or you know, family that have passed away as a result of suicide, alcohol is synonymous with, 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 with when that happened. Yeah. So you know, it can it can really 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 bring your mood down. I and I I notice it.
1: You know, it. I notice it after a night, even after you know one or two glasses of wine. I'll always just be a little bit kind of. Down the next day, and I notice Mm. it as a pattern in me now. So I've got to be really conscious of when I decide to have a glass of wine.
0: Yeah, no, no, definitely. It's like you know, look, a glass or two here or there, it's all right. But you just have to really monitor, Mm. especially not binging. I think another thing that you can do, like a good a good exercise that you can do, is as I mentioned earlier, is like physiology. So you know, people can say, "Look, think positive," but reality is, you know, your body and mind are obviously intertwined. If you can act positive so like if you can project or, or think of a time when you felt really confident you know self-assured and happy and how did that feel physically you know like like were you breathing deeply you know were your shoulders back what was the kind of expression on your face and look at yourself in the mirror and try for over like three to five days to practice how that feels three to five times a day even if you're feeling you start to feel low and that will actually mentally change your your um, your outlook um, by doing it and, and that's proven that's scientifically proven so there, there look there are tons that, that's what just little things that i do but there are yeah. there are a ton of things that you can do to kind of you know improve you know your your outlook beautiful
1: and neil what what is your routine sort of look like
2: yeah everything mick said there i would totally agree with i think you know exercise and um, uh, you know avoid drugs uh where possible i mean like don't get me wrong you know you 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 might slip off the bandwagon every now and again but like you know you really have to try to avoid those things and exercise is key you know a routine works for me some it might not work for other people and that's another important thing is that not all these things work for people the same right like my my brother he takes antidepressants like it's my uh, aim to try and do more natural uh, preventative remedies than you know kind of take medication but that's just my choice right that doesn't mean taking antidepressants is wrong it works for him and that's great and i'm happy for that um so medication is definitely uh, it should always be within your uh, decision making process meditation is a really big one and I don't naturally go towards meditation, it's not easy for me, but my partner Sue is big into it and she pushes me and that's really, really important as well to have those people around you. So I think surrounding yourself with great people will 100% help. But even if you're not uh, natural to meditation, just try and slowly bring it in. I mean, One of the things why I set up our business with Sue Nimus & Co. was to create a space because of the health journeys we have been down. For people can unplug because of that connectivity and, you know, always being on your phone. And um, that kind of led to Nimbus & Co. in its first e- essence. And then when I'm in there in the sauna, I try and allocate, even if it's just two minutes or three minutes, or and then you can grow it each time to meditation, and then you'll slowly get better and better. That makes such a huge difference to your mental health. So if you're not doing medita- or meditation, I would definitely recommend trying it. But there's lots of very basic, simple ones you can do. So, uh, your users that are listening might know about essential oils. Yeah. Sue and I use them all the time. We use it every single night before we go to bed. We have a demystifier in our room. We'll put a little drop in there. I think there's a scent, like Scent of a Woman, is actually one of my favorite ones. Oh, I like that one too. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we put that in. We turn it on maybe about 30 minutes before we go to bed. And when you come into the room, it's just beautiful. Like, you know, the smell, the light. Uh, we have a a salt lamp in our room. Beautiful. We try and avoid technology. I do too,
0: actually. Yeah.
2: yeah, they're they're amazing. Uh, we put our phones on airplane mode every single night we yeah, go to bed.
1: Important. Uh,
2: yeah, we do things like that. I've started to do yoga about twelve months ago. So there's Beautiful. a great class at Art & place in this in a store called Sorry Thanks I Love You, and I do that session every single Monday. And when I go home, Sue just says, "Oh my God, you're like a totally different person yeah. when you come home." You know, she just says, like, float in, and I'm all lovey-dovey, and I want to give her foot rub. <laughs> you know, she says, like, whenever she needs to ask me something, it's always at about 7.30 on a Monday, because I'm on, like, kind of cloud nine. Um, so that's another run. There's another very uh, basic one, which I think, like, Navy SEALs have used before, which is called box breathing. Now, I do that sometimes going to bed if, I'm, if I have something stressful on tomorrow. Uh, whether it's a big meeting or I made a big boo-boo and worked it that day. And it's very, very simple. And I think Navy SEALs use it, as I said, whenever they're in combat. And all you need to do is breathe through your nose for a set amount of seconds. I usually do it for about, like, five or six seconds. Then you hold your breath for the same duration, and then you breathe out a little bit longer, so mm. maybe eight or nine seconds. Yeah. If you were that, like, three or four times, I'm not joking It. It makes such a difference.
1: Yeah, that that is a brilliant technique. Mm. It switches on your parasympathetic nervous system, and so yeah. it takes you out of that fight or flight mode and puts you into sort of that rest and digest calm mode. Yeah, it's,
0: yeah, it's it's, it's, a, in, it's interesting if you take your pulse when you do that, you know, and you see it just it actually take beforehand and then do it and see how much it slows down. Mm. It's uh, it's insane.
1: Yeah, yeah. And great then it's techniques. Just, yeah.
2: Yeah, there's two other quick things I want yep. to mention as well. Like, like I mentioned technology. Technology, like please, like, try and avoid using technology late at night. I know it's, it's not easy for me. I love watching TV when I get home after a hard day or checking your Instagram post to see and likes you have. Yeah, we all know people love that. But <laughs> just try and avoid to do that. Maybe if it's just 30 minutes before you go to bed, it makes such a huge difference. And there actually is like science behind it because... The light that comes off your iPhone, if you're reading it literally sitting in bed scrolling through your Instagram feed, that is just stimulating your mind all the time. And then if you try and go to sleep then a minute later, it's going to be very, very hard for you. So we're we're a bit like on the far side of the spectrum. Like Sue bought these crazy glasses like Mm. last week, I call them crazy glasses, but they stop some form of light that comes off technology, which apparently... It dims the simulation that you get from like the light and so forth. Yeah, the, so it's it's, the, it's, they're
1: blue light blockers, so they yeah they're blocking the blue light.
2: That's hilarious. Yeah, you know? like I'll I'll <laughs> take a selfie and yeah, tag you in it the next time we're wearing it. But it's really yeah, funny. Okay. <laughs> but there is a method behind it. And then the last thing is like I'm also seeing a psychologist at the moment, and that was like a big step for me because. You know there is a mental health plan out there. If your listeners aren't aware of that through the government, which is good, I think there's like ten sessions that you can get a very, I think it's either heavily discounted or like free, depending on what your private health is and so forth. So you can actually do that. So you can go in and see your GP and get help that way. I decided to go through a psychologist because you know a lot of times now with Google, you're kind of you're, you're kind of second guessing or you're kind of diagnosing yourself and yeah. you're not like you're not you're not qualified. Mm-hmm you're thinking oh yeah I must have this because that's just what I have like, even the depression like I just I, I've known I've had depression but I only got diagnosed like six months ago because I made the decision finally to go into my GP and get actually diagnosed before that I was only really guessing you know so uh, I've been seeing a psychologist now we've seen each other like five or six times and I'm really only scratching the surface around my emotions we haven't even got to any kind of Strategy or how we can actually go around it. I'm literally still going through my emotional background and some of the trauma that I've had. So, it, you know, I would recommend people, like, you know, if, like don't be afraid to seek help. It is scary and it's a major step, like, and even for someone like me. But it is, it, is, it is working and it's made a big difference to me. And just putting your emotions on the table and having somebody professional to actually help you through that Is really, really important. Absolutely. And I think
1: it's, oh, sorry, Michael, just quickly. I think it's also important to note that you don't have to be, like, to go and see a psychologist, you don't necessarily have to have any big issues to have to discuss. Like, if you're leading a very stressful life, it can be a really great preventative measure as well.
0: Yeah, he took you took the words out oh, of my mouth. Just yeah. about to say that you don't like you don't have to, you know, be diagnosed with depression or, yeah. you know, you, I think everybody should go see a professional. You know, it doesn't have to be a psychologist as well, it could be like a different type of counsellor or life coach. You know, yeah. it's just good to talk to somebody that's independent, you know, sometimes out of your own circle because you would be surprised, you know, what comes to the surface. But no, that would hundred percent advocate that everybody you know no matter if you you know everyone should talk to someone
1: yeah absolutely and i guess any of the issues that you guys have raised today about you know remedying mental health um is is a great preventative as well good sleep looking after yourself exercising Mm -hmm. looking at your physiology meditation mindfulness all of it we should all yeah i
2: just i just wanted to mention as well i know like mick and i obviously guys but and there is that um, opinion out there that like this is a guy kind of thing um, which in some ways yeah maybe it is but when like from what we've learned from bits here they've actually told us and you know, I'm sure you have a lot of female listeners out there as well that there's actually more attempted or reported suicide attempts uh, for females uh, in Australia than there are males it's, but more males actually go through the whole way and uh. you know there may be many reasons behind that, and you know, my opinion there would be that you know, guys, you know, um, tend to be more, as I say, you know, bravado and like, yeah, you know, like you know, we e- we make our minds up a little bit easier. Whereas yeah. I think women, and this is why, and this is my opinion now, I think if we had more female leaders in the world, we'd be in a lot safer place. Mm. Um, yeah. But I think women take in all parameters; they're more emotionally attached to decision making than men are. So I think, may, like there's no doubt women would just go through the exact same emotions and feelings as guys do around mental health but I think when it comes to making that decision I think you know ultimately women weigh up absolutely everything whether you have children or what your work is or your friends and so forth and then at some point they they kind of step back you know Um whereas think maybe guys are a little bit more you know simpler in terms of their their thought process And, and that's just my opinion but you know, it's as much of an issue what I'm trying to get to for women as it is for men, you know? So, um,
1: yeah, I think that's important. I think that's important. I think the hardest thing is getting men to talk about it though. And I think women, we have, you know, we have our girlfriends and our sisters and we talk to our mothers all the time and we we are talking a lot more. And I think getting Mm -hmm. men to talk about it and listening to two guys openly talk about it is really encouraging.
2: Yeah, because you got to normalize it, right? And like, yeah. this is this is where it kind of gets a little bit a- ambiguous as well. Because I think there's lots of great things going on. You know, Buddy Franklin, who's a big role model, has come out and spoken about it, which is amazing, especially for a sports guy. And like that's awesome. And more and more people like that are coming out and talking about it, which is great. You know, the ABC did a, a fantastic show. It must have been about a month ago where. They spoke to survivors of suicide and, and how their life has changed and all the great things they're doing mm. now. And I think they're all brilliant ways of normalizing it. You know, next month, October, this is why we have the light on October, it's mental health month. And then there's all these initiatives like, are you okay? There's lots of amazing things like that, but there are dangerous elements to normalizing it as well. Like, you know, that show that was on, I think Netflix, the 13 Ways.
1: Yeah, 13 think, Reasons. Or 13
2: reasons yeah. yeah I think that's kind of like that like, and I know there's probably controversy and there's lots of uh, different opinions around this but for me that's kind of like a dangerous area to go down yes. and I understand that sharing her story and, and 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 you know I get that side of it but putting it on kind of TV like that almost kind of makes it normal in a kind of the wrong way they, that it's kind of okay I, you know?
1: I agree with you Neil I really feel like they glamorised that and I I have a brother who's 18 he's doing his HSC this year and I told him under no circumstances are you to watch that show because <laughs> it really did <laughs> yeah. it, glam, it glamorised the issue and it was uh, yeah. I think it was a bit insensitive actually
2: yeah, that's the wrong yeah. approach. Mm. Yeah. I think we're not quite there. No. Yes, in not terms with, of, not with
1: children, not with teenagers.
2: No.
1: Yeah. No, no. No. Okay, so tell me about the light ball and tell me what people can do to be part of it.
0: So the, the light ball is taking place on the fourteenth of October. Oh, so that's
1: soon. Okay.
0: It is very it's looming. Yeah. It and then the Australian Technology Park, which is a really cool and befitting venue for our um, for a black tie event.
1: Yeah. So it's
0: um yeah it's a free course meal and um, four and a half hours of yeah um I suppose yeah um celebrating kind of um with, with a lot of people who want to to yeah I suppose support. Um, you know, awareness around mental health. So we're looking at about, um, I think, about seven eight hundred people now. Wow!
1: Yeah. And is it is it, yeah. an, is it like an auction, or what, how does it how does the night run?
2: Yeah, it has it has lots of elements. I mean, this is the third iteration in Sydney, and um, we started off year. Well, we raised about seventy thousand dollars last year, it was a hundred and thirty five thousand dollars. Wow which is you know split across two charities that's about a that's a that's a staff member for each and um, you know our, the tier we had a meeting on wednesday and nick who was there brought us through what that person does and we were all nearly in tears you know even just listening to him like he's so passionate about it as well so it's just it's awesome uh, we're hoping to you know hopefully match that if not maybe beat that this year but the night and i know we're biased saying this but it's honestly the best <laughs> night of the year i mean how often do you get to dress in black tie, right? Not very often. No. Um, so you get you get to don your tux or your black dress or your gown. Uh, we have a fantastic MC this year, a guy called Marty Fields, who's a comedian, so yes. he's awesome. Yeah, we're also just about to book Barushka Darling, um, who is a drag queen, and Ooh. the light ball, as you probably tell from our conversation, started off being very Irish, but it's not an Irish issue, it's a global issue. Um, Each year as we've grown in the light bulb, we want to kind of broaden our horizons a bit and reach more communities. We want to get out there. So this year we kind of, and particularly with the yes vote going on at the moment, and, you know, that's a whole other conversation around all the impact that that's having on, you know, communities here. We wanted to kind of raise our profile and reach out to, like, LGBTI community and um, we've also been in contact with Joe Williams, the former NRL player who's uh, um, from the indigenous community and he's like really supportive of what we're doing as well. Um, we're trying to get, you know, potentially more coverage on the night around indigenous as well. We have an elder coming to do the Welcome to Country. Oh, wow. We have a live band, the Martini Club, who are Oh, I love the awesome. Martini
1: Club. Oh, that's <laughs> oh, amazing. You know yeah. yeah, they used to play at um, North Bondi RSL all the time.
2: Yeah, we had them last year and everybody yeah, was so like, good. oh my God please get them back. So we, we couldn't say yeah. no. So we have them back. But yes, we do have a raffle and auction. That's one of the biggest drivers for fundraising on the night. And, you know, again, not being biased, but we get pretty good presents and, or oh. prizes <laughs> on the night. Okay. Like We have Conor McGregor signs, UFC gloves. We have like Rory McElroy, like he was the number one golfer, like signed memorabilia before. We have trips to Bali, uh, beauty vouchers. You know, there's just... The, the actual problem last year was how we had too many prizes, and we're trying to trim that down this year for the raffles. So oh, okay. there's lots of cool things to do, and we've got signed jerseys and the whole shebang. We really yeah, have oh. lots, lots, lots of
0: celebrity support as well, Neil.
2: Yeah, w- w- one of the most entertaining part of the night is our kind of celebrity vi- video section. And what we do here is uh, we get celebs to do like a vox pop or a selfie off their, vi- off their phone, and mm-hmm. then they send that through. And then we play it on the night, you know, which is f- fantastic. And people just go crazy, you know. We've had Josie, you know, the musician did it last oh. year for us, you know. We had Bewitched. I don't know if there's any kind of uh, double denim fans out there, but they were like a oh a yeah, I remember fan.
1: Bewitched.
2: Yeah you, know, yeah, you remember them? Oh God, Sailor V, yeah, so right? Funny. Yeah, that yeah. was V. Yeah, <laughs> I, I that as well. That was their famous uh, the line that people remember, but. Yeah, so that's a really big one. Uh, so we have that as well. We usually do a welcome video from all the committee members. And and then we also have an after party. And I think it's one of the first and possibly the last times the venue It is, is Neil. Yeah, so it's a bit of an exclusive that the after party is going to be on site at the same venue. So you don't even have to walk oh, far. You have to, to
1: move. Keep- that's everyone's after party dream.
2: Exactly. Especially so.
1: ladies in heels.
2: <laughs> yeah, not too far. Not too far for the guys to be shiverous and you know get and carry people across. They have to. Um, so,
1: where do people? Um, where do people find out about tickets and whatnot?
2: Yeah, so we launched a website this year for the first time. It's thelightball.com. So people can jump on that and you can just buy tickets straight through there. Oz Tickets uh, is our our provider, so you can get it through there. Okay. We've a fairly prominent Facebook page as well. That's how we normally communicate. Uh, with most of our followers so uh, be sure to follow the lightball sydney on on facebook we are on twitter and instagram as well again at the lightball sydney but facebook is kind of like the main hub for most of our communications and we actually got featured today by mumbrella which was fantastic
1: amazing Mm -hmm. yeah
2: publication yeah i mean it it, it was about mick and mick also has a brother will who it would be remiss of us to not mention Will. He's an absolute stalwart on the committee, and uh, he's amazing. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not just saying this because Mick is on the call, but we'd be lost without Mick and Will. They really do spearhead the movements, and they featured their story, and it was fantastic because, uh, like, I work in the media, media industry, so does Mick, so does Will. We have Eamon and Ronan and Ashleen who all work in the kind of comms area and you know that this industry is very fast paced right it's 20 7 you're always on you're always out with clients and so forth and it, so it's a difficult environment to be in and i think you know good on umbrella for for really sharing our story and and putting a focus on this for the media industry because it's definitely out there you know mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for having this conversation with me. I really appreciate it, and I know that my audience will too. I will put all of the links for all of the light bulb information in the show notes, so people can just click through. And um, yeah, thank you so much
0: yeah thanks no. thanks for doing. i just wanted to add one last thing yeah. for anyone any of your melbourne listeners that the light bulb is coming to melbourne in oh, february amazing so watch that space so we have a committee down there so yeah so it's growing in its reach so you know anyone that can't make it up this october will we'll, um will be down your way and we have an amazing committee down there who have, have put the wheels
2: in motion there for that
1: fantastic that's great yes. all right thanks guys. It.
2: It's, I'll just say as well if there's anybody out there like you know feel free to reach out for us. You know you can email us or contact us on social media. We're always here as a committee and it, you know we'll be able to give you some kind of direction. so if anyone wants to chat or anything like that, don't feel like you can not reach out to us. We're always here.
1: Well, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of season four of the Inspire Table podcast. Remember, if you do want to stay up to date with new episodes, you must subscribe on iTunes. It's the quickest way to know when an episode is live. Also, a few things happened while I was away. I did some rebranding. So, if you want to find me on Instagram now, you can find me at, at Jordana Levine. That's J O R D A M M A l-e-v-i-n and my website jordanalevine.com and if you search Jordana Levine on facebook you should find me there too also for those people out there and i know there's lots of you who are interested in the moon and manifestation and tarot cards and crystals the best place to hang out these days where all the cool kids are hanging out is in the Lunar Nights Facebook group. If you search Lunar Nights on Facebook, you'll find us. And we're starting to do live meditations in there, which are going to be super fun. We will start them around the next new moon. So if you're not part of the group, make sure you join. I would love to have you in there. We're building such a beautiful community. Until next time, I'm Jordana Levine, wishing you an inspirational week.